disputed. <laughs> yeah, that shit's hilarious, man. Nah, man, it's been so cold lately, man. Like, my car been on some funny ass shit, man. Oh, where, where's your, where's your car at? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that is Bruh. that? <laughs> Is that what it is? Yeah, it's like, like that. I, every time I pull up, I just see the van. I'm like, did he get rid of what the car? To Al's car? Right. Does yeah. Al have a car? Or does he just roll like in Bruh, super me... van deep around the city? I used to have a car. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Let me I tell remember. you what happened to my car, man. This is a fucked up story. All right. But it's a funny story, so I'm going to share it anyway. All right. Here's what's happened to Al's car. So I used to have, you know, Oats Cutlass. You mm. know, it was my hoopty. I didn't have to drive the van that often. I went on tour and I had my friend Emily house sit. Hey right. Emily, boom, one house sit. Okay, cool, house sit. She worked at a car dealership about two miles from my house, mm-hmm. which is why it made sense for her to house sit. Right. It was right down the street from her job. Right. So she could come check out things, you know. Yes. Water the plants. Yeah. <laughs> feed, yeah. The, feed the animals. <laughs> yes. Perfect scenario right, for the right. kid. Sure, you can house sit. This is awesome. So um, I'm like, well, shit, you know, if. I think she was having problems with her car or something at one point when I was mm-hmm. I said, well, if you're having problems with your car, you know, mine is there. It's just sitting in the driveway. You work two miles away. I don't mind you driving it to work as long as, you know, you bring it back and you're, if, if you're spending a night here, right. it makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Right. All right, cool. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. On paper. So I get back home. No, I get a text one day while I'm on the respect the architect tour. Like, Hey, um, I feel so bad. <laughs> Something happened to your car. Okay. And I'm like, oh, well, what happened? She's like, well, I was driving it and the engine just started smoking and it went out and uh, your car is fucked up. Okay. I said, okay, well, she said, well, but don't worry. I'm going to handle it. You know, whatever you want to do, you want to get it fixed, we'll get it fixed. You know, we got a mechanic that works for the uh the shop I work for the sales, the lot I work at. Okay. Or, you know, if you want a new one, we can go to auction and get you something of equivalent price, whatever. Okay. Sounds good. I'm like, I'm on the road. I really don't want to deal with this shit. I'm like, Hey, as long as you're going to handle it, it's whatever to me. Okay. You know, do something. You know what I'm saying? I'm not tripping. Cause I trust that you'll do what grownups do handle this shit. I get back home. You know what I'm saying? Nothing is done. You know what I'm saying? The cars, was it's at this spot and this mechanic was tripping and that mechanic was tripping. But I end up so I, I called a mechanic and he's like, Yeah, well what happened to your car is basically, you know, your uh I can't remember what he said happened. Something happened. He said, but you know, if she would have just stopped and pulled over right then when it was overheating, you would have been fine. Mm-hmm. He said, But, you know, your engine was overheating, something was overheating and she just kept driving it and driving it and driving it. And then your engine basically died. Yeah. She fried your engine on your car. Wow. And so I'm like, oh man, this this is awful, you know, so you need a new engine. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, I'm like, okay. She's like, well, you know, I got you. We went to the, you know, so those in for the next two, three months, it became back and forth to the car lot that couldn't find nothing. We found something. We didn't, it, it, it wasn't any good. Uh, this mechanic is bullshitting, da, 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 da. All the while, I don't know where the fuck my car is, dog. I haven't seen you my haven't motherfucking seen your car? car. Wow. I ain't seen it. So, you know, this shit goes on for a while. I'm like, yo, you know, it gets to the point. I'm like, look, you got to do something or I'm just going to have to handle this on some legal action. But, you know, keep in mind, I had another fucking thing I was going on with uh, my rental property. Right. So I'm already in the middle of a, of uh, a yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm dropping too much coin on attorneys as it is. Right. I'm like, do I really want to pull up off of that to chase this bitch over a, my fucking whip? You know what right. I'm saying? 
And so I'm like, as soon as this court case is done, which I will inevitably win, because it was just a breach of contract from the lady who's renting the spot. Okay. And I'm like, okay, well, as soon as you, you know, as soon as I get done with that, I'm gonna shift over here and I'm gonna get this shit handled. So I come back and I'm like, all right, well, look, you know, let's handle this. She just disappears, right? So I get back from, she's like, I got you, I got you this month. I'm gonna start making payments. I'm gonna start coming over. I'm gonna start giving you, you know, just more excuses, mm-hmm. excuses, excuses. You know, oh, I was sick. I was in the hospital. My girlfriend, my friend overdosed. Like, she was hitting me with all kind of crazy shit. Yeah. I was just like, what the fuck your friend overdosing I do with my fucking car? Right, right. That's you your know. life. Right, right, right. So I'm like, all right. So this last time I come home from tour, I got this fucking, uh, now, I don't know where my car is at. Still. Still. No, haven't been told nothing. How many months has this been? This has been a year. A year? You it's haven't been a seen fucking your car. Year. I haven't seen my car. Wow. I get home. I see, I get a fucking, uh, a ticket. And it's like, your car was at, has been ticketed for expired tags. And it has an address of where the car is at. So I'm like, yes. Right. I know where my whip is at now. You uh-huh. know what I'm saying? So I'm going to go find my whip. I dr- And it's really down the way. It's like south near South High, the oh, address okay. was. Yeah. So that's right down the way. Get in the car, start dipping around the hood. I get there, it's gone. I'm like, oh, they must have told my shit. Thought they told it, yeah. Yeah. I call them and I say, hey, man, you know, uh, I got a ticket for this car that I own for expired uh, tags. And uh, no, no, first, yeah, for expired uh, tags. And it was automated line, I entered a whatever, mm-hmm. license. And they're like, the fees for and it's automated. Say, the fees for the towing for your car are two thousand seven hundred and ninety nine dollars and fifty cents. What? So the car's been got towed a year ago, <laughs> bro. I don't even know. I'm pissed because it can't. I, that can't be like over an overnight, bro. I hit the brakes and I just peel out to her fucking car lot. I'm like, yo, I'm about to cut this broad the fuck out. <laughs> I'm, I'm dipping across to the south side. I pull up in the fucking lot where this broad work. Out of business. Wow. Going like some gypsies. Wow. You know, it was like snatch. You know what I'm saying? Wow. <laughs> you show up, you're like, That's oh, they crazy. got me. Out of business. Gone. That's crazy. Gone, bro. It's like some, some sitcom shit. So then I'm like, well, what do I do? Because <laughs> right. you can't find her, right? Right. I can't find her. She ain't going to call me back or pick up the phone. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So I don't have her fucking address, you know what I'm saying? So, which is why I couldn't sue her because I didn't have an address. Wow. So, uh, you know, you can't serve somebody, you can't. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so finally, I'm like, all right. Well, I'm sitting in the parking lot of this abandoned business that she used to work at, (laughs) fuming. This is crazy. All right. So I'm like, okay. Well, let me just go on out to the fucking lot. Let me go out to the impound and and see what the fuck I can talk to. Maybe somebody will show me some love. I dip out there. You know, they used to be near downtown. They moved it. Now they uh, south off of 104, like south of the city. Now mm-hmm. dipping in. I come in there and say, hey man, here's my my, my license plate number. I, you know, I called the line. They told me I owe fucking three thousand dollars for my car getting impounded for expired plates. Um. It wasn't even in my possession, you know, and uh, is there anything I can do? He was like, well, I got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> <laughs> what you want first? <laughs> I say, well, you know, uh, 
This does not sound like it's going to end well. What's the good news? Right. He said, well, you don't have to pay the $2,700. I said, what's the bad news? He said, your car has been destroyed. (laughs) (laughs) They cubed up my whip, man. They cubed it up. (laughs) It's gone. So that's what happened to my car, Jawar. I walked out of there. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I did not know whether to laugh oh. or fucking cry. I got some good news. So, yeah. All right. Uh. start out with uh mr future here all right so i got this article um it's on allhiphop.com and the headline reads if it'll freaking come up cell phones these days future denies being a drug addict now when i first read that i thought you shouldn't have to deny being a drug addict if you're not a drug addict, but we'll get into that. Um, all right. So rappers has a, has, a, has a drug addict ever admitted being a drug addict? Of course in the history not. Of man, of course not. Not after they've not unless they hit rock bottom, and even then, it's really difficult yeah. to get them to admit it. Like you gotta you gotta be off the path to admit, <laughs> right? Completely like, off. Yeah, the that's path. step one. You know what I mean? Like you can't be in the midst of being a drug addict and be like, "Yep, yep. I'm a drug addict. Yep, this is me." All right, so this says, all right, rappers lie about a lot, and oftentimes they fake lifestyles. Future now seems to open up about doing the same. Future had a pretty amazing year in 2015 with number one albums, his Dirty Sprite 2 mixtape, his collaborative effort with Drake, uh, What a Time to Be Alive, and one more. One can't help but to notice that in Future's lyrics, he often talks about being drugged out. In a recent interview with Click, Future wanted to clear up a few things. And this is Future talking. I'm not super drugged out or a drug addict. My music may portray a certain kind of image. And I know I know it's some people that might be super drugged out and they listen to the music like, hey, thank you. You're speaking for me. Uh, that's weird. Um, <laughs> and then some people that's like no i don't feel this man i don't have to do drugs i can listen to future like i'm on something and don't have to try it um i i don't do that for you to really have hold up i don't do it for you that i don't have to do it for you to really have to live that type of life sounds like he can't talk too um when asked why he would portray such a persona future replied it's a catch hmm. A little bit irresponsible or nah? What are your thoughts? Rappers these days, man. You got to love it, man. Right. Rap is just, it's out of control, man. 
Well, it's always been like that. Yeah. People have always portrayed things in hip hop that yes. they weren't. You know what I'm saying? So this is nothing new. It, exactly. It's not even a, it's not the first time I noticed it. Mm-hmm. The first rapper I noticed. I mean, shit, I used to drink. I never had a reason to lie about it. Right. I wasn't going to lie doing it. Like anybody, anytime I wrote a song or verse about drinking, it was like firsthand shit. (laughs) Right. Experience. Yeah. 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 You got to blame it on the Jaeger because this shit fucks up your night. Yeah. But um, with these guys, you just never know. They're saying it because, you know, they really understand marketing and they're preying upon the youth uh, yeah the the music consumer the mm-hmm. average music consumer actually believes the shit like 50 cent was the first person i remember doing that right remember on get rich die trying how diesel he was oh yeah and he was on the treadmill mm-hmm. looking like he was on the fucking i don't know like just looking like he just straight out the gym like right. damn this dude look like he just got out of the fucking penitentiary big like he was yeah. penitentiary swole then you find out the interviews and he didn't drink Mm-hmm. Doesn't smoke cigarettes. Right. Doesn't smoke weed. Right. But he's got songs on that record that about high till I die and smoking that la la. He's got a songs all about this thing, and it really made me think. Like, yo, that was the first time I noticed it. Well, didn't he? But he used to have that life, though, right? Or did he never drink or ever smoke? I never got the impression that, that he ever did. was really that kind of guy. Hmm. Because like he wasn't a club guy. Right. He was a on the block guy. Yeah. But I never got the impression that he was like that, mm-hmm. you know. And to me, I think it probably has always been that way. Because look at how, like, like even though Fifty Cent at one point was uh, blacklisted from the industry because of the violent stuff that surrounded him, mm-hmm. could you? He he would have to have something that grounded him enough for cats like Eminem and Dr. Dre to invest in him. Exactly, and that so, was him off the mic. Exactly, you know, the person that he was in reality thank you and we've seen it in his business dealings clearly he's savvy and smart exactly. he's not sitting around smoking weed all day right you know and i just think that um maybe it's just one more you know one more uh you know we want to believe that this is a culture mm-hmm. and this shit is sacred right, right and people care like we care <laughs> yeah and that keeping it real matters <laughs> who the it. fuck are we kidding it does it but i think i think it's no different than eminem you know, being extreme with the the murder death stuff. You those know, with the drugs, the those mom and yeah, killing baby. Like it's no different. We just look at it. I, I think I think we have a different spin on it, especially as African Americans, yeah. because of how it affects us and how it. You know, drugs are a big problem in our community. Yeah. These people being in the positions that they are should have a little more quote unquote responsibility yeah. in what they feed the youth because they know that it's kids buying the music so on and so forth yeah. so I think that's why it makes yeah. you know we talk about this type of stuff yeah. a little more yeah and rappers they hate to be role models oh yeah they claim well they want everybody to follow them right but they don't want to be role models right like hey y'all I need y'all to look at what I'm doing to value it mm-hmm. but please don't hold me accountable <laughs> yeah don't hold me accountable for the stuff I say on record yeah it's yeah. like how do you how do you ask for such a thing without conceding the other part? It's like, look, if people are gonna follow you, then you gotta accept that even the kids are gonna emulate what you do. Right. And a lot of rappers seem to not want to accept that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that's just fucking weird to me. I mean, I get wanting to be famous. Oh yeah, of course. I, I know why motherfuckers want to be famous. Shit, we rap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you want to be that guy. Oh, you're dope. You know that shit makes you feel good. Right. But, um, 
it comes with responsibility, whether you admit it or not. But you know what? I think the people that don't want the responsibility know they talking about some bullshit. True. The people that don't want to be role models are the people that know that the stuff they talking about shouldn't be modeled after in the first place. Some bullshit. <laughs> you some know bullshit. what I mean? Yeah, there was a picture uh, that was circling the internet a couple months ago, and it's about young Jeezy and his son getting a full ride, oh, yeah. academic uh-huh. scholarship, or yeah. something like yeah. that. And I was, and I remember making a joke to somebody like. Don't you guys think it's odd that this man who perpetuates that the only way to be successful is to pump as much cocaine and mm-hmm. destroy your community yeah. is teaching his own kids to something, do the opposite? Yeah, something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's real. That's that's how it is. Yeah, rap is fucking crazy. So future, man, I don't I don't necessarily think future is uh, any more guilty than the other guys. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of cool that he admitted it. Right. But my prediction is ain't nobody going to. Don't nobody care. Thank you. No one's going to say, you know what, man? You a fucking liar, future man. And here I am thinking, you know, they're mm-hmm. not going to say that. Right. People are still going to listen to that music because it speaks to their fucking lifestyle and their psychology. Or the lifestyle that they want or wish they had or this yeah. fantasy that they think hip-hop is or, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. 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 I don't think these, these rappers got the time to sit around and do drugs. Not on a major label. I don't think they have time to just sit around and be fucked up all day. Yeah, all the time. No, they don't. Not the, big, not the big ones, the ones that matter. Hell no. Hell no. So, I mean, you know, future, par for the course. I'm glad he admitted it. Yeah. Fuck, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Right. At the end of the day, do we really care? Yeah, yeah. Fuck future. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy the super duty tough work podcast if so please remember to subscribe to the podcast on itunes and if you really rock with us please leave us a five-star rating and we will shout you out in an upcoming episode the five-star rating is one of the most effective ways in helping more people learn about the show thanks for your support all right so this is um something that i found interesting um jojo simmons gets roasted for announcing retirement have you ever heard of JoJo Simmons? <laughs> no. That's the exact point. <laughs> Who the fuck is JoJo Simmons? That's why this is so funny. He announced in his retirement, though. Um, the article says JoJo Simmons, Simmons recently revealed that he is retiring from rap to start a label. JoJo, unfortunately, was roasted on social media as many felt he did not even have a career to begin with, or at least not one long enough to announce retirement. <laughs> his, <laughs> his first artist for his label is a 17 year old kid named jacob santana jacob bumped into jojo simmons in a long island in long island and spit for the former rapper they called him a former rapper already (laughs) already and spit for the former rapper jojo was so impressed that he signed him to his label whose house entertainment so is this JoJo Simmons guy related to Run or something? Um, is he, it, is he maybe, one of Run's kids? Or, maybe. Or, or I don't know. Reverend Run? I don't know. We might have to look at that. But so, I mean, it's called Who's House Entertainment. Yeah, so he, it sounds like it. Yeah. Um, do you feel JoJo retired too early? <laughs> Did he retire before his prime? Name your favorite JoJo record. <laughs> That's hilarious. They're making so much fun of that dude. They are clowning his ass. It's all bad. Yeah, it's man. all bad for JoJo. Yeah. See, I think Jay Z fucked up the whole retirement word. Oh yeah, he ruined it for hip hop. Yeah, he messed it up. Yeah, you know, you, you retire, you come back, and you just act like you never retired. Like, oh hey guys, I'm just gonna hang around for a while. <laughs> right. I'll put on another record. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, you can't just do that. Right. Like if I re- if I work for you, mm. and I work mad years. You know, say I cut your grass and then I'm like, hey, man, you know, I'm retiring. Yeah. You're like, All right. Cool, man. It's been real. You did good work, Al. 
But then I come back the next week and just sit on your porch and drink beer. <laughs> you be like, what you doing here? Put the lawnmower in the back yeah. of your truck. Never fire it up, though. <laughs> lawnmowers is cold when you get there. Like, did he even fire up the lawnmower? Or, you know, I retire and I just come back and keep cutting your grass. Right. And I just have my hand out like, yeah, I'm going to need 50 yeah, I'm gonna need you, 50, I'm gonna need 50 bucks. Yeah, can I get, the, can I get paid? You're like, bro, I thought you retired. But I, but I cut the grass, though. Yeah, retiring in hip-hop is just, uh, I don't know if I know. It's a strange phenomenon. People retire every fucking year. And I'm just yeah, like, it is. from what? Were yeah. you To me, the prerequisite for retirement, call me naive, should be gainful employment. <laughs> right, right. At the occupation you're retiring from. Right. To where you don't have to work anymore. Yes. Like, if you never made a living as a rapper, are you retiring? Mm. Are you just quitting? Right. Yeah, I think he just quit. He quit. Because the thing that the thing that I found funny is that I don't know anybody who knows who JoJo Simmons. I just asked random people at work today. I don't. When you said that, I was thinking maybe the Diggy Simmons or maybe that was Diggy's See, and real I was name, thinking right? that too. And I was like, nah, this ain't this ain't one of them. I know what yeah. they look like at least. He's a cousin of, of one of them. He's a cousin. <laughs> they cousin. Yeah. They cousin that. Using the last name. It ain't even his. <laughs> Whose house entertainment? I'm JoJo. JoJo's Who's house. Yeah. Don't don't announce your retirement if you ain't got nothing to retire from. Yeah, that's funny. Well, you know, as I said before, like, I guess if you can't come in with a bang, dudes want to at least go out on a with one. Right, know? right. I, I came in with little fanfare. <laughs> right. I got to at least go out with some kind of noise. Yeah, because everybody talking about it. Yeah. Everybody talking about his retirement. I don't remember. Ain't nobody talked about none of his music, though. He has no record. <laughs> he might have a joint. No joint. He might have a joint. No have a joint? joints, none. <laughs> I bet you he probably doesn't even have a sixteen-bar verse that like people just know. Like, oh, he he did that feature on that one Clue tape. It was crazy, right? I thought he was next back then. He probably ain't even, didn't even put out a mixtape. No, he never even achieved cannabis status. <laughs> cannabis, status. yeah, like that hot guy that was supposed to be next. Right, he never got that far. Yeah, JoJo. Yeah, man. Well, happy retirement, JoJo. This episode of the Super Duty Tough Work Podcast is brought to you by Weightless Recordings, whose latest release, King No Crown by Blueprint, is available now on iTunes. It's also available on Orange Double Vinyl, Deluxe Digital Version, and Signed CD Version at weightless.net. Support the movement and order your copy today. So I was reading um, Yahoo, as I usually do, get my news. And I saw this article. It says a Seattle lawyer got Sir Mix-a-Lot's old cell number and hilarity has ensued. The article reads, Jonathan Nichols, a budding lawyer from Seattle, Washington, is embroiled in quite a hysterical mix up after receiving calls from luxury car dealership links from unsigned artists with several raunchy texts for a few months. Nichols realized that something was up. It turns out that he now is the proud owner of the cell phone number that previously belonged to 90s rapper Booty Aficionado (laughs) and Seattle resident Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> Nichols is probably getting insane pictures, photos, and strange happy birthday songs and all kind of stuff. Sir Mix-a-Lot told ABC News, "If he's a lawyer, he sifts through those calls. He'll find clients. Trust me, a lot of them." According to the Seattle Times, Nichols has found many offers for cars, concert tickets, and backstage passes. He receives pretty he he receives pretty tempting, but finds um, but. He rece- he receives them and they're pretty tempting, pretty tempting, but he just finds the entire thing extremely funny. When when them 
when them punks would rather toss and leave the troublesome phone number. That doesn't make sense to yeah. me. Um, that's what it says. Yeah. Um, Nichols has decided to stay and play and keep the keep the phone number for ice breaking purposes. When interviews when interviewers have asked me what's some of the interesting things that no one else knows, or when people I meet are working political campaigns, tell me about meeting Bill Clinton, I always say I have Sir Mix a Lot's old phone number, and it's a total mic drop. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, how about this? Can you imagine the quality of booty pics he gets? Oh, man, listen. Just like the roundest ass. (laughs) From girls who are like, hey, Mix. Hey, Mix. Hey, Mix, remember me? I know you like big butts. You can't lie. (laughs) Your mother brothers can't deny. (laughs) Yeah, he probably gets gets all kind of stuff. Cats offering drugs. Man, if I was him, All man, kind of stuff. I would have. I would take that to the max. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, obviously you're a lawyer. You can't exactly. do nothing you can't crazy. Do nothing too crazy. But I'd be like, yo, this is makes a lot's lawyer. Right. If you single though, the Ooh. women. What? I mean, you can, you can, you can, you can take that far, man. Oh yeah, you can take like, that real far. Like people will be stealing identities to do what is just coming to his phone every day. Yeah, exactly. Like, and yeah. he don't even really have. He don't have to steal no identity. He, he just says he's his lawyer. It's all legal. Yeah. <laughs> It's all legal. It's all legal. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, I'm, this is Mix a Lot's lawyer. <laughs> Let me meet up with you for yeah, a second. Yeah, I don't know if Mix can come, but if you could leave two tickets in my name and his at the door. Right. I'll see you there. Right. <laughs> then I'll be backstage. Right, chilling. Throwing it up. <laughs> Eating everybody's rider. Eating everybody's food. Yeah. I Drinking. Mean, yeah, acting like I belong there. Mm-hmm. Flossing a laminate, like who are these strange people? Right, I mix a lot's lawyer. <laughs> be like, sorry, Jacob. <laughs> that would be hilarious. I would definitely push that, push it to the limit. Yeah, I do it. I do it. I can't lie. At least for a couple weeks and just see what. what yeah, just see happen. what. Just see what happens. The crazy, the crazy parties you get invited to. Yeah, because like if a girl sending me pics, I'm like, girl, keep sending me more. Mm-hmm. Just see what the yeah, fuck happens. happens. Like, yeah. and then she'd be like, Mix, you never fucking. Came over. You said you was on your way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, baby. Just send me another picture. I'll come next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That should be great. I don't know. <laughs> I do it. I would definitely do it. Have you ever wondered what life is like for an artist on the road? Ever wish you could take a look behind the scenes and learn what it's really like to travel and play in different cities every night? Well, now you can. What a night is the third book by MC producer and author Blueprint. Part comedy, part tragedy, and part bizarre. What a Night takes the reader deep behind the scenes to tell previously unheard stories about the worst shows of Blueprint's 13-year touring career. Any artist can write volumes about the great shows they've had, but where's the fun in that? Order your signed copy now from waitlist.net. For a limited time, you can get all three of Blueprint's books for just $25, only at waitlist.net. Thanks for your support. DJ Khaled, we the best. All right, so on Live Nation News, DJ Khaled offers campaign advice to Jeb Bush, and Bush takes it. That's hilarious. Like, that's that's enough, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, DJ Khaled's over-the-top bragging has always been his signature brand, but on Snapchat, he's taken on the persona of a motivational speaker, <laughs> a Snapchat motivational speaker, becoming enough of a sensation to warrant coverage from the New York Times. His most popular videos contain random advice, 
which he calls keys to success. For example, he shared a gem while filming several trash cans. And his quote was, in life, you have to take the trash out. If you have trash in your life, take it out, throw it away, get rid of it. Major key words to live by. <laughs> Another one. <laughs> take out the trash. We the best. <laughs> we the best. You got to take that trash out, baby. All right. So- Metaphorically, baby. <laughs> and physically, so it don't start stinking, baby. You don't want that trash juice dripping on your carpet, man. Take out the garbage, yo. All right, so this was a couple nights ago. Um, Khaled appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live as the musical guest with special appearance from Future. Huh, tied ah. together. Um, but the real highlight was when Khaled gave some keys to success to a current floundering Republican <laughs> presidential candidate. He said, Jeb Bush, I appreciate you. You a leader. You a Bush. And another one. <laughs> Oh, for those who are unfamiliar with Khaled's legendary hip hop ad libs, another one is frequently and em- and emphatically yelled during his song. Yeah, actually explained. They do. I mean, they, yeah, yeah. Um, and while Khaled technically doesn't have um, the resume to be a campaign strategist, he did have <laughs> he did have a unique take on how Bush could improve. He yelled, "They don't want you to win. <laughs> they don't want you to win, son." <laughs> They don't want you to have breakfast, a healthy breakfast of fruit, green apple. That's the key. Apple. That's the quote. Yeah. So not long ago, a man of Bush's pedigree would not have noticed, much less responded to Khaled's bizarre encouragement. But thanks to Twitter, there it already happened. This morning, this was a couple days ago, Bush tweeted, thanks, DJ Khaled. I have my green apples for breakfast. It's unclear who Khaled is voting for in the upcoming election, but given his victory-minded music, all I do is win, um, the Bush campaign might want him on their side. Man. What? <laughs> this shit is... So they don't want you to win! They don't want you to have breakfast! <laughs> I mean, what the fuck does Khaled know about eating green apples, though? This is one of the fattest motherfuckers in hip-hop. Giving health advice. Right, give health advice. To a man who weighs about 100 pounds less than him. <laughs> Easy. You got to eat green apples, baby. <laughs> you got to have your fruits and veggies, son. And another one. And another one. They don't want you to eat your breakfast. <laughs> what you know about eating breakfast, Khaled? You don't be eating healthy. Pancakes and bacon yeah, and sausage. Dude, he ain't never seen a plate of pancakes he didn't like. <laughs> Khaled is like the dude who, uh, I don't know, he's the dude who just be parked outside the gym but never can get the, the heart to go in. Right, right. He gets the membership. The right. I went to the gym, baby. He got the sweatsuits. <laughs> he got the gear. He got the hat. He's like, we yo. Yeah, we the best. He got the I'm we the, the best trend, shirt. Man. Yeah, he got all the motivational gear, hat. He go there, he listening to, you know. All I do is win. Yeah, Eric Thomas and E.T., the motivational hip-hop preacher. He's like, yo, funny. man, I'm about to kill this set. He just never goes in. He <laughs> just sits out Comes there. back home like, yo, I killed this, son. <laughs> With about, a sandwich. I'm about to get swole. <laughs> With a sandwich in hand. Nah, Khaled is a weird dude, man. I, for is. years, I've just been like, what does Khaled do? Where did he come from? I know he's in Miami, right? I mean, I know that. But, but like, he just appeared like out of nowhere well, and we know he doesn't 
actually DJ. Right. He doesn't make beats. He doesn't produce? No. I didn't know that. I thought he at least produced. He hasn't made a beat ever. So what does he do? Just yell on records? I'm trying to figure that out. I'm so confused by his presence in hip hop. So does he just own the label? The We The Best? Is he it We The Best Music? Ain't that he, what it is? I don't know. It should be. I mean, he, he definitely has coined that term. Right. It's like he doesn't, he does records where he'll get beats from other people. Mm-hmm. And you then know, put other people on, on those beats. And then it's a DJ Khaled record. I, you are confused. You look confused as I am. I am confused because I thought he produced. Khaled doesn't make beats. Any uh, more than Puff Daddy makes beats. Except uh, Puff Daddy doesn't call himself a DJ. This is true. He does call himself a producer. Yeah. Yeah. Who does Khaled? Has anyone seen Khaled behind turntables before? No, haven't even seen him behind the boards, really. See, it's odd. It's very odd. What is his purpose in hip hop? See, see, Khaled is just like, he's like that cat you see twice in the Matrix that lets you know everything fucked up. <laughs> right. You're like, that cat was there. That's all right. twice. Yeah. Like, deja vu. Yeah, he's deja vu in the Matrix. Like, you see him, you know that something bad is happening. That's interesting. Like, the agents are coming. This world is fucked. We got to get out of here now. That's Khaled, man. He's not supposed to be there. But he's there all the time. Like, they're big. He's a fixture. He's a fixture. How? No one knows. That, to me, is worth study. Fuck the motivational (laughs) speeches. It is, because I I thought he produced. He doesn't produce a goddamn thing. That's interesting. You ain't ain't gonna see no videos of Khaled on the MP, on the Triton. On, on Ableton Live getting busy. <laughs> They're not out there. Wow. I never thought, I, I I just thought he, I just figured he was a producer. Nah. Nah. He's not a producer. So he just a dude. Yeah. Now, how much finesse does, he got does dough? it take? I mean, he does now. I mean, now he does, uh, he of does course. Now. But getting in the game, like. Who has politicked harder than Khaled? Knowing no what we know now. Right. Nobody. Because there's people you can say, you know what? He's kind of whack. He shouldn't have gotten as far as he did. Right. Then you can say people like, yo, he's kind of whack. He got way farther than he is. Khaled is in a category where it's like, I don't know whether you're whack or not because you actually haven't done anything, but you've gotten hella far. See, because I thought just because it was DJ Khaled Records that he produced the records. Come on now. Yeah. yeah. The DJ typically has importance in hip hop. This is true. That is interesting. It's very interesting. I'm going to study this. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to look into that, man. He's the he's the fucking cat in the matrix, man. He's not supposed to be there, man. Hmm. Interesting. You're befuddled. <laughs> I am because I thought he did something. I thought he did something. We the best. <laughs> That's what he does. He, he fucking screams over the beats. He gets people on him. His politic game must be hella strong. Right. So his you mouthpiece... Know, is killer. Yeah. Maybe it is a testament to like, I mean, you gotta have some supreme self-belief. Oh yeah. To wake up every day knowing that you don't do shit. Yes, but you're famous. <laughs> but you're famous. You're as fucking I don't know what. famous. You don't do nothing. Not a goddamn thing. Wow. You can't, you can't probably, I, he probably wouldn't even know how to turn on a Technique 1200 turntable. Wow. 
That is that that is probably the most interesting thing I've heard in a long time. Yeah. Because I didn't know. I, I had no I knew idea. I, and I've just been like, how far is this guy going to go with this? He was on Jimmy Kimmel Live, like, chilling. Like, yeah. he was the He's, musical guest. Right. With with special guest Future. <laughs> Future, we at least know he does something. <laughs> yes. And Khaled was the musical guest. He sat on the couch with Jimmy Kimmel. Yes. That man has overachieved, man. <laughs> I mean, he done, you to talk say about the least. maximizing his opportunities. If DJ Khaled can do it, you shouldn't even ever sit there as an artist, like a real artist, and say, you know what? I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be shit. If Khaled can do if it. If Khaled can do it, I can goddamn do it. That's what you need to say to yourself. Because here's a man who can't even turn on a goddamn NPC 2000. Do no one has technically ever seen DJ. You never hear scratches. Wow. My understanding, he just gets beats from people, puts them on his record, slaps DJ Khaled on it, screams ad libs. He's famous. And it's a hit. Yes. Too. Like he makes hits. Yes. I yes. mean, well, he doesn't make them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the weird thing. Like, <laughs> I don't know what he does. <laughs> Thank you. I'd like somebody to tell me what Khaled does, man. Maybe that's, you know, I mean, I guess he's like he's like a professional tastemaker. Mm. Taste making pays pretty well. I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's like the ill, the illest middle middle management job in hip hop. Wow. You basically just stand. You're the connect. You know. Wow, that's crazy. It's deep. Okay. <laughs> well, I've been enlightened. <clears throat> that's nuts. <laughs> Super Duty Tough Work is now available on all of your favorite podcasting apps. So whether you use SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or iTunes, we're there. Please take a second to follow us on whatever podcasting app you use and stay up to date. Thanks for your support. So the legendary man um, known as Blowfly has passed away. If anybody out there haven't heard any Blowfly music, some of the raunchiest, funniest <laughs> it's hilarious fun, it's hilariously funny and nasty hip hop like you can't listen to it with your kids in a car um, but you will be thoroughly entertained I encourage everybody to look up some Blowfly but um, I'm going to read this little article about him um, legendary singer rapper Clarence Reed otherwise known as Blowfly has passed away after a battle with terminal cancer terminal liver cancer there's been an official statement posted to his Facebook page Clarence Reed, the genius known by both his given name as Blowfly, his given name and as Blowfly, the master of class, passed peace, peacefully today. This was a few days ago. Um, let's see. Born in 1939 in Cochrane, Georgia, Blowfly carved out a niche for himself very early in his career. The original dirty rapper, that's what he was called, um, with his first record, The Weird World of Blowfly, released in 1973. There was simply nothing and nobody else quite like him. His lyrics were raunchy and explicit. His personality was so over the top that most people didn't quite know what to make of him. Nevertheless, there was a large and devoted audience for the kind of out there art that Blowfly dealt in. And across five decades, he managed to release 26 different albums. Reports of the severity of his illness leaked out earlier this week after his official Facebook page posted a grim update on his health, revealing that he'd been admitted into hospice care after experience, experiencing multiple organ failure. 
In spite of the diagnosis, the Post also revealed that the singer had one last album in the can, 77 Rusty Trombones, that will be released in February. And then there's a lot of shout-outs from yeah. um, different artists. Now, I wanted to talk about this because you toured with Blowfly. And you got to yes. experience, you know, the man firsthand. So I thought it'd be cool if you share a story or two about the man. Yeah, the yeah, legend. yeah. Rest in peace to Blowfly, man. No doubt. I mean... You know, it's ill about Flo Fly. There's one random fact is that, you know, if you look at the dates of like his first records, they mm -hmm. kind of precede what we believe to be the beginning of hip hop. Exactly. And he was rapping. So people say, oh, yeah, he's the original dirty rapper. But arguably, he's the first, the original rapper. Exactly. You know, yeah. like they used to do that in the 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, when you talk to cats who was coming up at that time, they hit you with the rhymes. They had bars. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like our parents there. Like, yeah, I'm on the front of lose, and you know I can't lose, and you know, right, blah, right, blah, you know, yeah. like they had like ill poetry greeting each other, like, right? They hit you with four bars yeah, off the rip, bars <laughs> like damn. Before rap was rap, they had that, right? And uh, he was the first guy to really do it on record, man. And uh, you know, 2006, that was when I put out the um, Blueprint versus Funkadelic record, mm -hmm. and, you know, where I used all the Funkadelic samples, and I was like, I'm just gonna put this out. My guy Philly Phil from Dayton, he he actually had toured with Blow Five before me. And he knew Blowfly's tour manager, and uh, this was coming off of the Soul Position album as well. The last one, things go better. And he was like, "Yo, man, you got this funkadelic thing you're doing. I think you know you and Blowfly would be a good match up to tour, you know." And uh, so I was like, "Hey, man, you know, talk to him and see if they'd be interested, you know." And they looked at everything and talked to his promoters, and he was like, "Yeah, let's do it," mm -hmm. you know. So it was basically just me, Rare Groove, Blowfly, and this band. You know, we did about three weeks, three weeks tour. Tour wasn't great. It was it was rough, bro. It was rough, a rough, tour. rough times. Yeah, it was rough, but it, none of that had anything to do with Blowfly. Mm -hmm. You know, like Blowfly was like the the most uh, immaculate performer I've ever seen across any genre. Like he was such a ill showman that you, I would just sit there and watch him every night, mm -hmm. and that's rare for somebody who you see every night, right. just watching and studying and catching little things and. Cause you know we we catch the details that people don't catch. Mm -hmm. Like we catch the details where like something will go on, go wrong, and this person will improvise and then lead back into that thing that went right wrong right. perfectly. Yeah, and we'll think, man, that was a great save. That was awesome to see someone who's seventy years old right. do that night in night out to have these perfect monologues with the crowd, uh -huh. this incredible interaction to be just thinking on the spot. Now, this is a dude who had to be led to the stage. Mm -hmm. He had to get a handler to help him to the stage. Oh, yeah. He technically couldn't even physically get up there without two people helping him. But once he got up once there. He, yeah, it was all instinct. Mm -hmm. It was the most incredible shit I ever saw. I was like, yo, man, this dude, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, we did the first show, and I remember some of my fans that came out to the first show, and they were like, yeah, you know, who's this blowfly dude? And he's like 70 years old. I see how you're doing this. And I remember we were just, I was like, look, man. Where would you rather be? In a nursing home? On the road. Yeah, yeah, or on the road. I mean, the prospects for a 70-year-old man, mm -hmm. what are you going to be doing at 70? That's the question. Exactly. What is everyone you know doing at 70 years old? I guarantee you it ain't nothing as cool as what Blowfly been doing for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, from 65. He's about, how old was he when he passed away? 75? Uh, 75, I think. Is it? Something like that. Yeah, around 75 years old. So I, he's been touring nonstop, but at least... That was 10 years ago that I toured with him, mm -hmm. you know, and he's still been going, keeping up a great pace. And uh, I think that's just amazing, man. And it's uh, 
it, it makes me sentimental because it makes me think like, you know what? Maybe there is no expiration date on this shit. Right. You know? What the hell was that? Oh no, that was weird. We just heard picked up some weird shit in our headphones. So. But like, um, probably a trucker or something. Yeah, yeah, CB frequencies yeah. and shit. Yeah, but like, um, it's weird to think that like, hip hop is always presented as this youth culture, mm-hmm. uh, seasonal. You know, you gotta always appeal to the kids. There's no longevity. Mm-hmm. The Jay Zs and the Nas's are the exceptions, right. and there will never be anyone like them. But maybe that's not true. Well, I, I mean, I know personally it's not because I mean, how old are you? Forty-two, forty-one, forty-one. Yeah, yeah. Slug is what forty-five, four. Yeah, 44? I think 44, I think it'll be forty-five this year. Aesop is September close. Yep, so Aesop's like about forty. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, and yeah. y'all doing some of y'all's best work now. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? So I don't see no expiration date, but keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's wild though, because mm. you know, like even we hear the talk, and sometimes we're thinking, man, you know. How long is this going to last? Is it going to last? But then a guy like Blowfly makes you think that, you know what? If you create something that's lasting enough mm-hmm. to where people want to hear you and you're 60 and you're 70, why not? Yeah, why not? The Rolling Stones are allowed to do it. Yeah. Hip hop should be allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, as we get older, we're getting into uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. We can't say that hip hop is a only for the youth if we haven't seen categorically reject the elders right and it hasn't it hasn't hasn't. illmatic is still the measuring stick you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying reasonable doubt is still a classic cuban links ain't went nowhere right you know paid in full still paid in full Mm -hmm. rock him big daddy kane marley mar all still touring all still making a living still legends in their own right and it's like Maybe we have to get out of the uh, habit of thinking that there's an expiration date on this just because we can't see our way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what a lot of artists do, especially those who have had, you know, a tougher time monetizing their art. You talk to them, it's like, woe is me. You know, like I can never make it and this ain't for me. And it's like, yes, I I get that reality. But what about those who are making a way? Mm -hmm. Should they just quit because? You know, like, I, would I quit just because I've turned, I crossed 40, you know? Just because I never imagined myself doing this long? Right. Doesn't mean I got to quit just because. Just because. Yeah, because, well, this ain't cool no more. I'm going to quit. Mm-hmm. Cool is defined by who? Exactly. It's only not cool if I'm presenting something that's like. Corny. Yes, <laughs> not cool. I'm not right. cool. Like, I'm not rapping about shit that is uh, beneath me or mm-hmm. too immature. And I think that my fans have grown with me. Same thing for, you know, like the Atmospheres, the Jay-Zs and the Nazis. Right. Their fans enjoy watching them grow up because they are growing too right and if the younger kids come along and and fuck with it that's cool too i mean i got a lot of younger fans too uh but i think that's just a reflection of the energy Mm -hmm. in my music right you know i'm not out here all crotchety and fucking can't you know on the mic sounding like i fucking hate the world it's just you know making art Mm -hmm. and i feel like i'm doing good shit and uh you know blowfly gives me hope that's dope so that's my blowfly rant that's tight man that's tight yeah i he was born in 39 Wow. So. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. Yeah. And he was 75, 77, still doing. Still doing what he fucking loved every day. Yeah, there's no reason not to. Yeah. He had a, I don't know if you've seen a documentary on him. It's called um, The Wonderful World of Blowfly. Mm -hmm. It came out last year, I think. I wonder if it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. I'm going to watch it. Because I watched it on there. It's dope. So everyone listening, uh, go watch The Wonderful World of Blowfly documentary. Super dope. And that will kind of explain to you 
who he is, how far he's came, his journey, how he was like one of the biggest writers of just like soul music, hmm. you know, pop soul records in the, in, in the 60s and 70s, you know, like, uh, is it Average White? Uh, gosh, I'm going, it's not Average White Band, there's someone else I'm going blank on right now that he wrote. He wrote for a lot of big artists back then, hmm. uh, black and white. And um, he had a name through that. Then he came with a blowfly character just so he can kind of just get his own stuff on the side. And that shit became like cult shit. But he still, even when we were on tour, he would do Clarence Reed shows on off days, which was just him playing in front of his fans that only knew him as a songwriter and didn't even know he was blowfly. That's wild. That's crazy. Yeah. It's fucking wild. It's like he he did it and he would make money in both both things up until, you know, passed away. Well, something to strive for, man. Yeah, man. Something to look forward to. I mean, why not, man? I'm having fun. Yeah. I'm still making music. and I, 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 The thing is, I've gotten to a point now where I just make it for, for the fun of it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Seeing what new I can come up with, how many, you know, and I'll probably do this whether I'm putting it out or not. Yes. For the rest of my life. I agree. Just because I'm an artist and it's part of me and, you know, it'll never die within me. And luckily, he was able to get out there and still do it. Yeah, you know, and still create, and people still came to see him, and you know, up until, up until he passed away. So it's really cool yeah. to see. Yeah, it's awesome, man. So yeah, rest in peace, Bloodfly. Rest in peace, brother. If you want to communicate with us directly, maybe let us know what you think about the show, or to suggest topics for the next episode. The Super Duty Tough Work Podcast is now on Twitter at sdtw underscore podcast. Again, that's S-D-T-W underscore podcast on Twitter. So get on Twitter, give us a follow, and holler at us. Peace. All right, so we're going to do something new um, this week that uh, we haven't done yet. We got some fan questions for you, Mr. Blueprint. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is via Twitter. Everybody, if you have questions, um, hit up Blueprint on Twitter or um, the um, Super Duty Tough Super Work, Duty uh, Tough Work. Uh, Twitter profile SDTW underscore podcast Yep And hit us with your questions And we'll um, You know Ask new questions every week But this one comes from uh, so Solder or Solder Kath Yep um, Says How do you How often do you practice You are a rare dude Where a lot of time Your live performances Can sound better Than the audio files Mm. Well, back in the day, we didn't practice at all. True. I remember many, many bars. Yeah, just get up and spit bars. Me, you, and Prism. <laughs> we had some nightmare shows when we first started trying to get out there, boy. Yeah. I remember the first time we played Chicago. Remember oh when yeah. When we first man. met Song, we played that battle, and uh, all bad. Everything that could have went wrong went wrong. Went wrong. Even the beatboxing didn't yeah. work out. Beatboxing didn't work. Mics were dying. Mini discs were skipping. Lyrics were forgotten. It was bad. So it was just the worst. And I remember being so mad and Prism was just laughing at me like, duh. <laughs> Videotaping. Yeah, as always. Right. As like, always. why are you so bad, friend? I was like, man, never again. We practicing. Right. We ain't never going to be this whack on stage ever again. Yeah. You know. But, uh, you know, back in the day, I didn't really understand practicing that much. It wasn't until, like, I went on tour with Atmosphere, which was, like, 2002. So, like, we were doing shows 1999, 98 mm. through then. Just kind of just getting up there, just hyped, just energy, rah rah rah, you know, four rap, guys on rapidly, stage, rap, rap, yeah, rap. bars. I'm gonna rap the hardest, you know, right. and that will win, you know. <laughs> right. But uh, torn with Sean, you know, that was the first time I'd had like structured rehearsals where he flew me and Dibs in 
So we would fly into Minneapolis like three weeks, four weeks early, and we would just stay at his house. And every day we would get up, go get some breakfast. Then we'd go over to Fifth Element. We'd write out a set list and we would practice right there in Fifth Element on a stage while the shop was open. So while people will be walking in, me, him, and Dibs will be going through the entire set. That's dope. No, no chilling, nothing. No, no wait until they leave the store. We would practice on the whole set right then and there. And then we'd make adjustments then. And then we'd finish. Uh, me and Dibs would go drink. Or Sean would go drink. You know, we'd all go get fucked up. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at that night, he would give me notes. Okay, and this is what I want you to practice on for tomorrow. I need you to learn this, learn that. This is what we're going to work on tomorrow. We did this for three weeks. So we would practice for anywhere from two to four hours a day, you know, for three weeks. That's 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 work. Yes. And it's it work. Wa- and it wasn't private. It was mm-hmm. like in front of people. And then like you said, and then I would come home and at night I would I would be sitting there in headphones learning songs mm-hmm. for another hour to two every night so that I could be prepared for the next day. So whether we drank or got or kicked or whatever, we still had to have our shit together mm-hmm. for the next day rehearsal. Right. So I learned that structure from touring with him. And then, you know, I also learned just like how to put together a set and momentum and all that. And that's the stuff I brought back to Waitlist. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so I brought that back and then me and you were doing it. Then me and, and me and Prism would yep, do it. Yeah, you and Prism would do it. And then me and RJ uh-huh. started started taking those concepts of like these deep, heavy rehearsals mm-hmm. where you don't leave anything up to chance. Mm-hmm. You know, you leave and you got different things. You got sets, you got blocks, you got routines. Mm-hmm. You got things that you can pull out of the bag at any moment, but it only works if you practice a lot. So, I mean, I think if you ask me now, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, granted, to me, now because I have more material, it's more like we will practice on a specific song hard or right. routine for a song hard now. Like, So if I put out a new record and it's got five new songs I want to perform, mm-hmm. then our routines will basically, our practices will consist of those things first right. and foremost. We'll do that for a week or two weeks, whatever. Because the other routines are second nature at this point. Exactly, we yeah. got those. So then we'll go back and we'll, okay, so how are we gonna perform You know, Radio Inactive? Okay, let me come up with this thing. Then we try it, we put it in a set, and we'll practice. You know, We go through the whole set front to back. We don't sit there and just, you know, we record, you know, we start recording our rehearsals too sometimes mm-hmm. because sometimes you should record your rehearsals to see how you sound, mm-hmm. to test the momentum of it. You know, are you playing too many, you know, slow songs at the beginning, too many fast songs at the beginning and then the end drags or, you know, you gotta, you gotta really do this. So like, I can write a book about it, but I, I practice a lot. <laughs> In short. In short, a lot. <laughs> All, right. All right. And the second question actually is from a friend of mine who I'm working on a record with right now. Nice. Um, Lucid Optics. Uh, okay. His question is, uh, would Printmatic, it would be cool to hear about how much time goes into preparing for a release on the business side of things. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I like uh, appreciate you asking that. That that one is like, I'll preface it with this. What I learned about putting out music in terms of like the business side, the organizational side of it, I kind of got that from my experience in corporate America. Mm-hmm. You know, there was really no one to teach us how to put out anything. Yeah, yeah. we learned on the fly. But when I was a computer programmer, uh, they made us take like project management courses. So, and we would take them at Xavier University and get certified. So I remember getting certified maybe our second year in project management mm-hmm. down there. And project management is basically just like, you have a set number of resources, you got a date, 
you got certain things that have to happen X amount of weeks out, yeah. you know, the and alpha, to the beta, the yeah. testing, yeah. and then a rollout of a software package or an update, right? Mm -hmm. And you got to test, you got to go through the whole thing. I realized early on that that's not that different from releasing an album. Yeah, same thing. Same thing. Yeah. So um, as far as like how I go about organizing, I always start with, I take an assessment, I take an inventory. Step one, take an inventory of what I have. What pieces do I have? And, uh, you know, you might want to take notes and drop this game on your <laughs> Dropping quick. bars and jewels. So what they call this in a digital realm, if you talk to a digital marketer, they call these assets. So we're talking about a, a, a musician. What is an asset? An asset could be a music video. Mm -hmm. It could be a, you know, BTS video, you know, making of. It could be a single, you know, that's in advance of the album uh, on SoundCloud. It could be a remix from another artist. And you say, how many pieces do I have? And then, okay, maybe you got five pieces. Um, then you got to think, okay, what pieces are the most impactful? So you basically say, how can I, how can I basically structure a campaign based around these pieces? Now this is outside of the record, right? It, exactly. Outside of the record. This is all before, before the, record. the record comes out. Mm -hmm. Some people, what they do, which I don't agree with is they'll put out the record. Then they'll start trying to promote it. Mm -hmm. It's like, the record in itself is one piece. Mm -hmm. So if you, all you have is the record and you drop that, you'll find that a week later it's hard to get people to revisit it. Especially in today's climate. Yeah. So if, if that's the only asset you got is your music, you never want to go into a record with that. You want to have different pieces that you can use. So, you know, and it depends on what the artist is, right? Like every artist has different strengths, right? So some artist strength may be that, okay, I have this, interview podcast mm -hmm. and on this interview podcast i can use that to create momentum because every week i have that and i got a large following there some people may have like maybe they do like the tiny desk npr thing mm -hmm. and they're getting those kind of gigs or if they don't have them maybe they have a a, a, a ill video crew where they can say okay i want to create this kind of content mm -hmm. and use that to create anticipation for the record so it starts with that step one get your assets step two um decide how how long of a campaign you can run based on those assets if you only got enough assets for a week or two two or three pieces then maybe that week or two you just decide i'm gonna crunch all this into a week or two and hit people with shit back to back to back to back to back mm -hmm. to where every day they're like damn 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 and at the end of that two weeks album drop yeah boom so that's step two you know map out your assets you know step three have a plan for what happens at the end you know like, how do you keep momentum after this thing go, comes out? People don't have that because they don't really plan to the end. You know, if you read uh, The Art of War, one of the, I'm sorry, not Art of War, one of 48 Laws of Power, one of the laws is always plan to the end. Mm -hmm. Basically, you're running a, it's like a, it's a strategy. Mm -hmm. So you want, you want to, you got to be strategic and, 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 and plan this shit out. Don't just be stepping out there with no, no exit strategy. Yeah. Like, how am I going to keep this campaign going and keep people interested? That could be anything. People, like, say, for example, if you have tour dates, boom, your ability to, uh, you know, promote things that, uh, like your shows, before your shows, right. that counts. Yeah. Uh, after your shows, feedback from your shows, reviews of your shows, mm -hmm. all of these things count. Blogging. Yeah, blogging. on tour. Yeah, like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm into writing, so my pieces tend to fall around that mm -hmm. you know what i mean and i'm into like 
the camera and documentary type stuff. So mine is, but everyone's is different. Mm -hmm. Some people, you might be a producer. So you might say, you know what? I'm going to create some pieces based around production. You know, it's a lot to it. Like I, I want to eventually, I eventually want to do like a, like a, a course. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, you know, called like, you know, publicity campaigns for artists where I basically outline this whole thing. And you can just take like a video course where I kind of show you examples, you know, because like we basically did that. If you look at like your um, Capture the Sun record, right? we did that. Like you and I talked about it. Like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I want to do some video. What do you think? Okay, okay. Well, I think I can get four pieces and we got these four weeks on Smash right. and you got three videos already. Yeah. So yeah, that's seven weeks yeah. in advance and we can pump this thing up. And then we can be killing it. You know, mm-hmm. we can drop this. And then the tour starts. We'll go on tour at the greenhouse. And after that, like we kind of had that plan in motion mm-hmm. three months before, four months before the album came out. Yeah. I mean, I was dropping the EPs a year prior. Uh, exactly. So I was building. I, I started like, yep. you know, at least a year and a half before That's the true. record even dropped. Yeah, because we had talked about EPs first. Like, okay, okay. Divide that music into the two EPs and you drop that. You drop <laughs> that and you got an album. Boom. Yeah. And then and you did it. You had like two videos for each EP, I yeah. think. And that just built up the momentum. People may look at it and say, oh, well, this is just an album. It's not, the album didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. The album was planned a year and a half prior to that. Yeah. In a two, when the two EPs were planned as pieces to set up the album. Um, so yeah, I want to, I want to talk about this at length and I, and I will, uh, mm-hmm. but it'll, it's so much I can write. So much, you know, I've been doing it for ever, forever, man. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I hope that helps. And, uh, anybody listening, you know, hit the comments and, uh, Next week, uh, hit us with more questions, man. We're going to try to make this a regular thing. Work. You know? So, uh, yeah. Super duty. Yeah, man. Uh, we, shit, we cracked the hour this week. Ah, oh, work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Joints, bars. Yeah. <laughs> Till next time, y'all. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to Super Duty Tough Work. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Follow the podcast on SoundCloud. Peace. Shoot, I got styles already that's more complex that nobody know about. I mean, super duty tough work. Huh?